How's everybody today? Good. All right, good. I brought a couple books with me and, uh, and a binder with the sermon in it. And I'm excited to be able to share with you. Now, I'm an associate pastor here at the church. My name is Jeff. A lot of people call me Pastor Jeff, like Joey just did. And, uh, and I um, have the privilege of overseeing our children's ministry program. And it's been a really fun summer. I was busy with that over here. I haven't preached in uh, a, number of, a number of weeks. And I know you guys started a new series uh, in the book of 1 John. And so if you're here and you haven't been here uh, before, we're, you're picking up in the middle of a series of 1 John. And we're in chapter 2 today. So if you want to open up the Word, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, that'd be good. At any rate, I'm excited to be able to speak with you and to dive into this this section of scripture that is uh, really, really profound. And as I studied, I just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I realized that there, there's so much to, uh, to, to dive into that there's, there's no way to cover the, the depth of all the different topics that you can get focused in on. For instance, we're going to talk about the anointing and we're going to talk about uh, the Antichrist and uh, the Messiah and uh, just... Uh, a lot of awesome, awesome things that you can, you can dive into, and I, I enjoyed doing that this week. But um, the desire, the, the goal for us is to, to know the Word and to be, to be drawn, uh, drawn into it and to have a, a relationship with the, the Lord, a fellowship with the Lord. And we're going to discuss that, too. And, but the point is to live the word and to apply the word and so that's what we got to get to this morning we got to get all the way through the point where like now what am I supposed to do with this how does this touch me and so that's really our prayer this morning and so if you would pray with me uh, I know you just prayed with Dennis but let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word and uh, then we'll get started this morning Heavenly Father we come before you in the name of your son Jesus Christ and we ask that as we open up your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. And Lord, so I ask those things, Lord, um, by faith and confidence. And uh, I ask that you would stir us up to know you, uh, to long for life in you, and that we would discover life in you. And I pray that we would be encouraged this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are in 1 John 2, and I would like to read the whole passage because I really think it's going to help you kind of follow uh, along this morning if we can just read this all up front. So if we, you want to follow along, I'll start at verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I have not written you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. I've written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So this book that we have, 1 John, it really kind of breaks down like into three tests that kind of recirculate. What I mean is, Paul's, or John, is trying to give the reader confidence that they have eternal life and that they have fellowship with God and with his son. And he uses three tests, you could say, to help somebody kind of figure out where they're at. You'll see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, you know, you say, well, what is the ultimate goal here? Verse 3, it says, what we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And I'm sure you guys, if you were here, I'm sure they talked about koinonia and the idea of fellowship and communion and, and shared, uh, sharing life together, shared experiences together. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the first test you'll see as he starts in chapter 1 is the morality test. Like 1 John 5, or verse 5 and 6 of, of the first chapter. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is absolutely no darkness. There's no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we're lying. And we're not practicing the truth. This is a morality test. You say that you are good with God, that you and God are on good terms. Take the morality test. If we say we have fellowship and we're walking in the darkness, you're lying. You're not practicing the truth. 1 John 2, 3, this is how we're sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. So the first test is the morality test. The second test is more of a social test. The social test, 1 John 2, 9, the one who says he's in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. I mean, you could say that isn't that kind of the same test. I mean, one of his commands is to love. And so, like, think of these as, like, circles that kind of, what do you call it, concentric, where they kind of overlap. But you can kind of take a morality test and you can take the social test because you might think, well, I'm a pretty moral person, but I hate my brother. You know what I mean? And we can kind of let ourselves off the hook. But no, here's another test. Just let's, let's make sure you're, you're in good terms with God. 
Take the test. So we have the morality test, the social test, and today we really have the doctrine test. We really have a, the doctrinal test. Are you in fellowship with the Father? Well, take the test. And that's where we're at this morning. And so at verse 18 of chapter 2, we read, Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, Antichrist is coming. And even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that the last, it's the last, oh, we know from this that it is the last hour. And so verse 18 introduces this word, Antichrist. And so anti, I think we all get the idea of is against in Christ, there is the word Christos. So I have a quote here. We'll put it on the screen. The Antichrist. So the Antichrist is a figure empowered by Satan who functions as an enemy of Jesus Christ and the church. And in the context of apocalyptic literature, like in Revelation, the figure performs false miracles, deceives many, in order to discourage people from worshiping the true God and persecutes God's people. You know, it's interesting. John says, you guys have heard the Antichrist is coming. You know, the word Antichristos uh, is actually only written in John's literature, the specific word, but the idea is spread throughout Scripture. And, and yet we see that this is a teaching that has been um, taught before John is writing this particular letter. So is there one or is there many? It says, we know even now many antichrists have come. So what does this mean? And before we dive into, before he really answers it, and we're going to look closer at what is the, the message of the, the Antichrist. But verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had indeed belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But however, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. And we're talking about, remember, the idea was fellowship. Because not only do we have fellowship with, one, or with, with God the Father and the Son, but John was trying to describe how to make sure that you have fellowship with one another. And it's saying, it's clear, these people have went out. Maybe they were here for a while, but they're gone. They're not part of us. If they were part of us, they would have remained. They, they, weren't, they weren't really, they didn't remain. And it's evidence that God's word, his message, didn't remain. It's kind of like a test right there in itself. These guys are gone, but so that, that should tell you they, they've got a different message right there. But what is the Christos? Well, Christos is the word we use for Christ. And it means the idea of being the anointed. The anointed, which is an Old Testament concept. You can go back and look in the Old Testament. And there's like three types, and there's a slide. There's three types of people who were anointed in the Old Testament. Priests, prophets, and kings. And that's the word that has been used to, that, that Jesus himself was, was given, was bestowed upon him, and was, uh, he, he embodied, he is the anointed one. 
So we're going to move on. We're going to come back to some of these concepts briefly because he brings them up again. So we're at verse 20. In verse 20, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I've not written you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So this is an anointing from the Holy One. You know, in Habakkuk 3.3, the Father is called the Holy One. In John 6, 69, Jesus is called the Holy One. But it says this, you have been given two things. You've been given two things. You've been given an anointing, and you've been giving, and you have knowledge. All right, so anointing, the word is chrisma. Chrisma is the word that means anointing, which is much like the anointed one, the Messiah, it says, but you've been giving, given an anointing, a chrisma. Right? You've been, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And so the second thing is that you have a knowledge, a knowledge of the truth. Okay? All right. So we're just like identifying some of the definitions of some of these words and, and some of their uh, kind of Digging into the word themselves. So we're going to keep moving. We're coming back to some of these, I promise. Verse 22, okay? Let's look at verse 22. And I called this section, You've Been Warned. Because up until now, he hasn't really told us much about the Antichrist. Yeah, I gave you a definition. We came up with that, you know, we gather that definition from a, a larger scope of study. But in this passage, he just, all he said is, you've heard the Antichrist is coming, and even now there's a bunch of them, and they weren't part of us. But you have been have an anointing, and you have knowledge, and now here we go. He's going to kind of dig into the Antichrist message. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah... This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. The one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, I've thought a little bit this week just about our world, and it seems like the world is disinterested in the idea of a Messiah, wouldn't you say? I mean, although they're, they're intrigued, I think. There's, there's lots of uh, movies and stuff and stories that intrigue, you know, use the idea of a Messiah who comes along and he saves the day, right? We see that plenty of times. We're intrigued by the, the story of a Messiah. But somehow it needs to remain an impersonal Messiah. And I kind of feel like the Messiah that our world, the world system, last week we talked, uh, Matt walked through that, and we looked at the, the world as it's uh, explained in, in the book of John and uh, kind of like dove into that. It's a system that Satan runs. It's against God. That's what... You could uh, think of when you, when you think of when the Bible talks about 
the world and its desires that are passing and fading away. But the, the Messiah that the world wants is, is one that, the one that offers pleasure. The one that promises personal pleasure or promises health or promises wealth or promises social standing or safety. These are the, the messiahs that, that a lot of times our hearts uh, start to long for. And our world definitely is just embraced. They have a lot of pride in the various messiahs that they find, the different saviors they find to bring or restore their health. Uh, to eliminate those wrinkles, to, to live for eternity, uh, or the wealth that you can find. And if you embrace these certain attitudes or actions, you know there's some social standing that you can gain, and or it can provide, can the Messiah provide safety for you? Or... Another promise that the world's Messiah would offer you is, is freedom, is, is, is liberty, the freedom to do what you want, when you want, free from negative feelings, free from pain, free from outside influence. And so there's this promises that the world offers us, that the Messiah of the world, if, they, if we want to use that, that world, there's some things that, that are, are luring promises. But are these messiahs leading us to let go of the, the fellowship, the most profound thing, the fellowship that we can have with the Father, with God, and with his Son? So we live in a world that's disinterested in a messiah. But is believing the right thing important? Believing the right thing is important because the word says that only the Son can represent us and reconcile us to the Father. So we're going to look at a couple of verses. 1 John 2, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the world. And the thing is that when we were born into this world, we did not have that fellowship with the Father. We had a longing. We have a longing for peace and fellowship with the Father. But there's the problem of our sin and the sin that we... Um, find ourselves and separates us from that fellowship. And God's desire was for us to, like Adam and Eve in the garden, walking in the cool of the day, communicating with one another, experiencing their life together, commune, communing with the Father. That's the, that's where we're getting, that's where we're trying to get back to where everything's right and everything's the way it should be. But, so Jesus comes and it says he's the propitiation for our sins, and I'm sure you guys talked about it. But God, is, in all of his holiness and all of his, 
all of his majesty, and he can't just participate in our selfishness and forget all about it. In fact, Jesus, who lived his life on earth without sin, the righteous one, was willing to die so that God's justice and his wrath could be satisfied and his righteousness placed onto our record. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. You're not going to get to the Father except through me, except through the anointed one. First Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, and he suffered as a human. As though he were a sinner, he was crucified on the cross, and he was bled on the cross. In order to restore this fellowship, so that you could feel that rightness, the fellowship, being with God, remaining in God, remaining in that beautiful, that, that beautiful koinonia with God. So verse 24, 26, as we had to discuss before, I, I said 22 to 26, really, you've been warned. Verse 24, 26, you've been equipped. You've been equipped with, number one, you've been equipped with a message, and you've been equipped with an anointing. And so you see how he's coming back to the same two things that he mentioned before, the two things that we have. Yeah, there's Antichrist, a bunch of them gone out into this world, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you have a knowledge. And here we are. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. 1 John 2.24. What you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. If, if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. So what is it that they've heard from the beginning? See, John is confident enough to say, just go back to what you know. Go back to the gospel as it was represented to you. Now the thing is, they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't like go and like read it and reread it and reread it again. They were told the message. They were told the story of Jesus. They were told, you know what I mean? And that's what John's doing. He's like, we're, we're, we saw it. I saw it. John, I was, I've been thinking about John and his experience. I kind of want to uh, tell you some of the things I was thinking about that, but it's the gospel. And he's saying that's what needs to remain in you. Remain in the gospel. Let the gospel, the word of Christ, remain in you. The word of the Messiah remain in you, and you'll be sure that you're remaining and that you have fellowship and you have, you're good with God and the Son. Verse 25. 225. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. 
remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And so I want to talk a little bit more about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because I was thinking about John, like I said, and here's John, like he was there with Jesus. Like he followed Jesus around this whole time, and he was there when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. John knows all about the anointing, all about the Holy Spirit's coming. He, like he was there when Jesus said these words, if you love me, this is John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And I'm, I'm imagining G, uh, Jesus and, and John. And, you know, John was pretty good at, I think, thinking that he was, like, pretty much the only one in the room with Jesus. Um, I love how he calls himself the disciple that uh, Jesus loves. And, um, but I'm imagining their eye contact as Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, you'll see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. We're invited into this relationship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit that is life-changing that can reorient your entire day when you just simply come back to acknowledge it. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's what's really going on. That's what's really most important. That's where I really am. He was there just a few words later. He says, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit... The Father will send him in my name, and he'll teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I've told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. He was there when Jesus described the vine and the branches. And later in John 16, he says... I've spoken these things to you. Sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. In verse 12, I still have many things to tell you. But you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own.
but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So the thing is, John was there. He knows all about the Holy Spirit, and yet he sees his church who, who, who should have known this, who, who heard the gospel, and who had the Holy Spirit, who have this anointing, who have this knowledge, but there's, there's this other group of people coming in with this other knowledge, with this other idea, this, this secret. Some people are coming in and offering a, a secret knowledge through a special, maybe a special anointing, a, a different kind of anointing. Rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and that the Messiah had come in the flesh. You know, I have a book. There is nothing more appealing, maybe, than, than a secret. How many of you have ever been told a secret? I want you to just think for a second when, when like, kids on the playground, hey, can I tell you a secret? <laughs> yeah, tell me a secret. Like, I want to know a secret. You know, I have something that you might not have. I actually have the book of secrets right here. Yeah. Yeah, and actually you can get one for $5 off eBay. But the thing about the book of secrets is, like, I had this on my shelf, you know, and my piano students come over, and I think it was actually one of my daughters. She's like, how can, why would they make a book called the Book of Secrets? It just, I mean, she couldn't even, I don't even know what she was thinking, actually, but she did say that. And the Book of Secrets, and uh, so I actually do this with my piano students. It's like, just as like a, an aside, I say, hey, you ready for your secret? And I got the book of secrets right here and it looks so I mean it looks like there's some amazing stuff in here and so like pick a number between 1 and uh, 375 215 all right so I get this the book of secrets out and page 215 and I'm like okay but I can't tell you because it's a secret <laughs> If you want to take piano lessons from me, you can go ahead and maybe, no, just kidding. But the secret, you know what I mean? And they were, they were, they were intrigued by the special knowledge that they could have, intrigued by something new that they could get, something that might take them further than, they've, than they, than they realized, realized before. And you know what? They didn't realize that it was taking them away and that they were leaving the Messiah behind, or maybe they, they did. The teachers certainly knew. So John says, you've been warned, but not only have you been warned, you've been equipped. You have the knowledge, you have the gospel, and you need to cling to it. You can't just let go and move on to the next most intriguing thing. All right, so let's read 1 John 2, verse 27. So verse 27, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things. And it is true, and it is not a lie. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. 
So what happens when we remain in him? You've probably noticed that I keep emphasizing the word remain, and John is emphasizing the word remain. Um, it's the same as the word abide, the idea that you stay in fellowship or that you continue to have. I used the, the phrase earlier, the idea that you, are, you and God are on good terms or you're, you're in with God. It's not necessarily far off, but the idea is that you could walk through the day having fellowship with the eternal God who's offered you life, life eternal and life to the full, the life abundant. So what happens when I remain in him? What happens when you remain in him? And I want to read the last, past, uh, last verse. It's verse 28 of this section. So now, little children, remain in him. Remain in him. That's, that's, the, com- that's the command. That's the urge. It's, it's more than just a, a command. It's like a, he's almost like pleading. It's like, this is, this is what you got to do. Remain in him. Remain. So that when he appears, we may have boldness. The anticipation of Christ's coming is what's in John's mind. Because Christ, the Messiah, he's coming back. Not figuratively, but physically, he's going to appear and he's going to be present. So that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I thought, what are the ways that we are anti-Messiah? Is it possible that we're anti-Christ's? I think that there, there's some of us here that are probably against Christ, against Jesus as the Messiah. Um, maybe, maybe you're not so adamant. Maybe you're, you're searching, you're wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the Christ? And, but there's some of us, too, that just need to be reminded to, to remain, and, and we wouldn't ever say that doctrinally as far as the doctrine test. We would say the right things. But I was wondering, how bold, how confident, when you imagine Christ coming, how confident do you, do you feel? Or do you feel like sometimes when you imagine Christ, or you imagine coming before God, maybe to worship or to pray, do you feel in your heart a shrinking back? And I think that if we feel sometimes some of those feelings less, less than confident and shrinking back, that it might be a good time to take the test. Like maybe there's something with the first test. Maybe my morality is kind of slipping somewhere. Like maybe I couldn't worship God this morning because there's something going on and it needs to be dealt with and it's not okay with God. It is outside of his character and his preferences. Or maybe take the second test. The social test. Maybe I got something between me and a brother or a sister. 
And I haven't yet moved past that point to where God really wants me to be with that person. Maybe there's something I need to do here. Because there's something going on between me and God, and my fellowship with him doesn't seem to be where it's supposed to be. In fact, if God came back today, he'd probably look him in the eye and he'd be like, Jeff, you need to go talk to, maybe that's you. Or maybe it's the doctrine test. But all I'm saying is that John is writing this book so that we could have confidence And that we could stand boldly before the Lord, not in arrogance, no, but that we could just be there with him and embrace him. And, you know, I I think of that song I just came to my mind of, I can only imagine what I'll do. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, like, like, like standing before him boldly is somehow this like, um, like overconfident thing. But the picture of shrinking back is maybe a, a better way to look at it. And we don't have to be in that place where we just want to shrink back. In fact, we've been given victory. And I'll close with this. I was reading something in, uh, I don't know where I was reading it. And it talked about those who are victorious. We just watched the Olympics, right? In the Olympics, the victorious ones often, universally, almost universally, will raise their, ha- their hands to the air. They'll spread them out and they'll... They'll lift, and they'll lift their head back. In fact, there's this like, psychological thing that they're not even thinking about. They take up as much space as they can because they feel the victory. They feel the joy of, of, of winning. And um, Okay, but what about the people that lose? You know, they shrink. They get as small as they can. They, they just don't want... They don't, want the camera on, they don't want the camera on them. They don't want the attention. It's just they don't look at me right now. And so before the Lord and he's coming, like, where do, you want, where do you want to be? And I'm not saying that we can do it on our own. The victory is in Christ and through Christ. And we talked about the forgiveness. So if you're failing the morality test, we have one who is willing to forgive. Confess your sins. But if you're in sin, don't deny it. You're a liar. But you have one who is willing to forgive. Cleanse us from our sins. You know, if you're having a hard time loving your brother, you got something going on in relationships, you're not going to do it by yourself, but start praying for that person. Start praying for the right heart, to see them the way that God sees them, with the grace that God has, the same grace he has for you. Don't let go of the most profound, the fellowship that we have with God the Father and God the Son, and make sure that you are not an antichrist. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we say thank you for your word. And it is deep and there's mysteries still. We didn't unpack them all and uh, we we didn't get everything. And so I pray that you would just help us to stay re rooted and help us to remain Lord in your word and to keep diving in and digging in and understanding and growing but Lord we thank you for your Holy Spirit and you reminded us that you have anointed us with your Holy Spirit to not only be with us to be around us but to be in us Lord and that was because of what your son Jesus did and through believing in him and so Father we we thank you for your Holy Spirit we thank you that you intercede when we pray and you make sense out of our hearts and out of our longings and out of our prayers. And we thank you that you convict us, Lord, when we are going 
away or against you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we want to know you more. We pray these things, and we thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.